All right, here we go. First Kings chapter 19, verse 9. Lord, get us on the right direction again. There he came. Then there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Before we go any further, I want to talk about what happened before this. Elijah was the champion. By all definitions, if you would have asked the refs who won, who's winning the fight, it would be Elijah. He just murdered 450 prophets of Baal. He had just defeated them on top of a mountain, showing them that their God is made up and fake. And then all of a sudden, an evil queen, sounds like a Disney movie, I know, bear with me, goes, I'm going to kill you, and if you're alive tomorrow, you'll be surprised. And what does he do? He just runs. And it says here, uh, he actually ran for 40 days and 40 nights, is what it says in verse 7, 8, 8. But anyways, verse 10, Elijah replied to God when he said, what are you doing here? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down the altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hid the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face of his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And he gives him some marching orders. And the last thing he says is, Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Let's pray. Generally, Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to preach your message. Father, I believe that any day could be a pivotal moment in someone's life. Any day could be a pivotal moment in my life where life change happens because of something said, spoken, or laid on my heart. Father, I pray today that today would be a moment that somebody would change because of what you have laid on their heart. As I go forward, Lord, may my words be few and yours be many. I say that with the most sincere heart today, God. I don't want anything that comes out of my mouth not to be what you have planned. In your name we pray. Amen. Two weekends ago, we were in Lincoln, Nebraska. And before I go any further, can I just talk about how much I hate the spelling of Lincoln? Like, why is there two L's in Lincoln? Think about it. How do you spell Lincoln? L-I-N-C-O-L-N, right? I hate the spelling of Lincoln. There needs to be, it's Linklon, right? Linklon. Huh? Lincoln. It's still horrible. There needs to be one L in Lincoln. It needs to be a six-letter word, not seven. I don't care if seven's a prime number. doesn't work. I don't care. Seven might be God's number, but Lincoln, I don't know if that's... Uh, I don't like I don't like the seven sound spelling of Lincoln. I think it's horrible. But anyways, we were there for Winter Conference, and there's a lot of great stuff that went on. We, we walked around a lot. We talked with a lot of different people. I had some great conversations with students individually. Um, but this one night, Crystal and I got to pick out where we were going to eat for supper. The night before, we let the group pick, and they picked Ch- uh, Chick-fil-A, which was 20 minutes away. I was like, okay, whatever. And so when it was 
No, we picked something like 10 minutes walking away. And we're like, okay, there's so much butter. Uh, it was called Alibaba's. It was a Greek restaurant. They served euros. Some people were adventurous and tried euros. Some people got chicken strips, and that's fine. I mean, I would have wished you would have tried the lamb, but, you know, it's okay. You do you. So anyways, it's, if you haven't had euros, please, like, give it a chance because this place was so authentic. Like, I'm talking not authentic like it says authentic on the wall. I'm talking authentic where you walk in and you're like, should I be eating here? Yeah, the menu, you look up at the wall and you're like, um, and you're looking around for cockroaches running around like, is this place clean? Do I need to go check the bathroom first? Alibaba's. It probably could have been, yeah. So anyways, we're, we're eating supper at this place, and we are talking about the office, and has anyone, is anyone in the middle of the office right now, is trying to, like, watch the office? You haven't finished it yet? No, I have not done it. Episode 17. Hey, Who has finished the office? By a quick raise of hands, who has finished the office? We talk about the office, the TV show, a lot in Chi Alpha. If you've been with us a little bit, we talk about it a lot. I'm going to ruin part of the season finale. I'm sorry. Spoilers ahead. Hate me if you want. It's okay. In the final episode, Michael Scott makes a reappearance. And Ellie and I were discussing this, and we were discussing at the table, how we hate how it ended. Well, she hates. I, I, I liked it. She goes, he... He didn't say anything. I'm like, well, he technically did say something. He opened with, that's what she said. That's what he came, because that's his signature line. So he came back, and uh, Dwight looks at him and goes, I can't believe you came. And he's like, that's what she said. And you're like, oh, that's horrible, Michael, but it's typical Michael. And I, I'm like, so he didn't just say nothing. She goes, well, yeah, but he didn't tell us anything. We don't have any information about his life. We don't know what's going on. We don't know any other details besides he just shows up at Dwight's wedding. And, and so he, I'll try, so we're talking, so we're talking about this, and I go, but the thing is, so actually yesterday I had to watch it, that last episode, just so I could get an official word count, he says 21 words in the last episode, that's it, that's all he said. So he comes back, and I'm talking with Ellie about this, and she's like, I don't like it. I want to know more. I'm like, well, I guess it just makes you, like, assume things and infer things and use your imagination. And she goes, that's what John would say. And I'm like, well, it's the artistic thing. She goes, yeah, I know, but I still want to know. I'm like, well, just make something up and believe it. That's all you have to do. It's kind of interesting, though, because if we fast forward to this current message I was working on for Hope Church on Sunday, I read this passage that we just read. Nothing to do with the message on Sunday, but I wanted background context, and I'm reading it, and I'm going, I don't like it. There's no information. There's nothing given to me about what the heck is going on in Elijah's mind. Why does he have the enemy on the ropes, and he turns around, and he runs away? Why? Why did he just get scared at this lady? All these questions are just 
pounding through my head, and I'm like, I need more info, and it was so upset, and then I'm like, oh, wait a second. What was I just telling Ellie about the final episode? And I'm not saying we have to fill in gaps with what we want to believe in the Bible, but maybe it's the fact that we just need to study it more. Have you ever gotten to that point when you're reading where you're just like, oh, I need to just, yeah, I should probably just dwell on this a little bit, you know? But the more I studied it, the more I thought about it, the more I talked about it, I came to the idea, the assumption that I think you would also agree by the end of this message that Elijah was depressed. Think about it. He runs away from his problems. He feels alone. He over-exaggerates to God. He's stubborn with God. He, him and God had the same conversation twice in three verses. <coughs> what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah says, part A. God comes back. What are you doing here, Elijah? God says, part A. Second verse, same as the first. He was in a literal pit. He was in a cave. Elijah was depressed. We look at this and we just see Elijah. He's just, he had the enemy on the ropes, guys. He, they were backed. He had them beat. They were losing. One, two punch right after another. And when you have your enemy on the ropes, when you have your fellow boxer pushed up into the corner, do you let him out? No. But that's what Elijah did. And I couldn't understand it. I'm like, what's going on? All because of this evil queen who should have no power and shouldn't even be there going, if you're alive tomorrow, I've made a mistake and you better be surprised because I'm going to kill you and you will not be alive tomorrow. So he picks up his cloak and he runs for 40 days and 40 nights. He ends up 210 miles away. Now, it's interesting. It could have just said he ended up at any mountain. But do you know which mountain he ran to? He ran to Mount Sinai. What's important to Mount Sinai? That's where the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain. He talks with God. And God sketches him out two sets of commandments because he broke the first pair. But he sketches out two tablets with the commandments on them. And that's where... Elijah goes to. He goes to Mount Sinai and hides in a cave because life's hard. And then what's God do? God shows up. I, we aren't told how long Elijah was in the cave. We aren't told a lot of things about this story. But God shows up. And I find it interesting, even in Elijah's depression, anxiety, he can still hear God's voice. He still hears the voice of God saying, Elijah, what are you doing? And he goes, he just lets it all out. And he tells God, this is what's going on. And it doesn't change anything. Why did God come and talk to Elijah? Well, I think, simply put, God can't use Elijah in a cave. Elijah is the prophet of God. Elijah has a lot of control, and that's why he doesn't get along with kings, because by all definitions, if God says something and Elijah tells him to say it, it's going to override a king any day. God can't use Elijah in a cave. God can use Elijah when he's fighting the enemy on the ropes. 
God can use Elijah when he's in Israel speaking to the people and pouring into them. God can't use a prophet in a cave away from everybody. God needed Elijah on the offensive. He needed Elijah to finish the fight. Elijah knew God's voice in the cave, but yet he forgot God's power. He didn't want God's power. He was looking for protection. He's like, hey, yo, God, can I get some of me that uh, witness protection program? Yeah. Hello? God? I'll just go to your mountain. You'll be there. He was looking for a safe haven. It's like it's safe here, and I can sulk here too. Because isn't it interesting that, you know, he still knew his problems was outside that cave entrance. He knew what was out there, and he knew that someday they might show up if he did try to plan to live the rest of his life in this cave. That death would find him. That's honestly what he wanted. He just wanted to live in this cave and sulk for the rest of his life with all of his problems. But remember, God can't use him in a cave 210 miles away. Was Elijah happy there? Probably not. He just wanted to sit in his depression and anxiety. How does this look in our life? You know, it's, it's really scary, isn't it? 85% of college students feel overwhelmed. 85% of college students say they feel overwhelmed. I got a lot going on, Zach. I got tests every day this week. I got roommates that don't listen. I got bills that are getting due. How am I supposed to work and be part of all this stuff and pay my bills? Can't be done. I got all this stuff. I got my family problems. I got my life problems. I got this guy. I got this girl. And we're fighting all the time. But I really love her. Or I really love him. And there's everything. And, it, and you guys can go on. And I'm not complaining. Please understand. I'm saying is there is so many problems. No wonder 85% of college students feel overwhelmed. You go from being in high school, living under your parents' roof, to being on your own. I was two hours away from mom. Some of you might be closer. Some of you might be farther. Some of you are really feeling adulthood right about now. And you're like, I feel like a little fish in a big pond. Overwhelmed. 36% of college students say they've experienced depression or they are depressed. It reminds me of Philippians 4. Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I want to go back to Kings for a second. We don't have to go there. When God told Elijah to go outside the cave, why did he tell Elijah to go outside the cave? Why couldn't he just have the same conversation? He knew Elijah was going to give him the same response probably. He puts Elijah outside the cave. He says, stand before me. And what happens? He sends an earthquake that moves the rocks. He sends a windstorm that moves the rock. He sends an earthquake that shakes the ground. He sends a firestorm that only God could be behind. And after that whole thing, where was God? 
what are you doing here? In a whisper, hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? And what's Elijah respond with? Elijah still hears the voice of God, still knows his voice. He responds the same way. Israel has turned. I'm the last one left. They all want to kill me. Woe is me. My life is horrible. I might as well go home and eat worms. God kind of got tired of that, I think we can say. He looked at Elijah or looked down at Elijah and said, nope, don't want to hear it anymore. Here's your marching orders. You're going to go crown two new kings. You're going to go find a new assistant that's going to become the next prophet. So let's go. 210 miles away in a cave, God said, enough is enough. We're going to get you moving. Paul writes, oh, so many years later, says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Zach, what do these two things have to do with each other? I think they have everything to do with each other. Elijah was depressed, which no wonder. I mean, who wouldn't feel depressed or have anxiety about being hunted by the whole nation of Israel, by being the only Christian How many times do we feel the same way? And what's Paul say? He says, don't be anxious. Essentially, that's what God was saying. God was going, it's okay, I got this, here's what you're going to do. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I love this, those two words there, with thanksgiving. One of the hardest things to do when I feel overwhelmed, when I feel like the world is pressing down on me, is write a list of what I'm thankful for. Shoot, even when I've, I feel like I've failed, I can't, it's hard for me to think about things I'm thankful for. I have a beautiful six-month-old daughter, a wife that loves me, yet it is still hard for me to think about things that I'm thankful for when I feel like I've failed or the world hates me or I'm trapped. But I would like to make the observation today based on Paul's statement. That's probably the most important thing you can do. Where's thankfulness going to get you? It's going to get you everywhere. It's going to take you out of a cave because you know what? God can't use you in a cave. Cave, only thing a cave is good for is sulking in an echo chamber of reminding you of everything you are hiding outside that entry everything that is waiting for you. You don't escape it. It's not like you forget about it when you enter a cave. It's still right there. All your problems that you thought were going to go away, but you just look out the cave and you're like, they're just right there. And we have this little barrier right now. I'm in the back of the cave. They're outside the cave. They aren't bothering me, but really they're still there and you know it. God can't use us in a cave. I feel like tonight God is telling some of you, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Is it time for you to, to put pen to paper and say, this is what I'm thankful for? I would like to make the challenge that I know you guys have leftover notebooks from last semester that you haven't put filled to the brim. 
or maybe a binder that's just sitting over because you only have five classes, not six classes this semester. Stick some lined paper in there. Take a crayon or a whatever marker and write on the front 1,000 blessings. I bet you in 100 days you can come up with 1,000 blessings if every day you sat down and wrote 10 blessings. And you know what? My examples of Maven and Crystal are really easy. Day 20, I would start writing about, God, thank you for two feet that don't hurt when I run. That's okay. Are you thankful for them truly? Is it going to take your mind out of that, I have all these problems weighing down on me, and put that mind in, I'm just blessed for this right now. Because if you're more focused about what you have instead of what's outside the cave, you're going to be more ready to walk outside that cave because you know what you have and you know God's power. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, without thanksgiving, present your request to God. When I say prayer, I, I really wonder in this room what we envision prayer. Do we envision prayer when... Uh, Maybe that old-time preacher would stand up there and he'd be like, Oh, Lord, and just pray fire and pray redemption and pray for the earthquake and pray for the mountain to move. Is that what we're calling prayer? Or are we calling prayer just, Hey, God. Yeah, I got a lot. Yeah, I got a lot. What am I doing here, you ask? Uh, well, outside that cave is all this stuff. But I'm, I'm going to be thankful for um, these fingers. Yeah. These fingers, because without these fingers, I couldn't hold that cutie's hand. And I'd like to thank you for that cutie that you sent my way yesterday. If we are truly thankful, and if the worship team's going to come back up here, we will be able to remove ourselves out of the cave so much easier. Because guess what? Just like God had marching orders and directions for Elijah, he has marching orders and directions for you. Because here's what I'd like to think. If you experience something, wouldn't it be easier for you to share that experience with someone else once you've gone through it? Think about how much more prepared Elisha was ready when Elijah tells him, you know what? When Jezebel was hunting me down when I was 210 miles away, God showed up in a whisper and he said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And at that point I realized that I was 210 miles away where I was supposed to be and it was time to move. And God showed me and told me that there were 7,000 other people that still believed. And so because of that, I was ready to leave a cave. So Elisha don't forget the times when I was in a cave. Don't you put yourself in a proverbial cave. How much easier it'll be for you to go up to somebody and say, hey, you know what? Jill, I've been there. You know what got me out of it? And they might say, if it's some weird, goofy God thing, I don't want to hear it. Well, too bad. Uh, God, you know reality. Just being thankful. That sounds like the dumbest thing ever. Well, yeah, probably does. But have you tried it? I don't want to. Well, then, I'm just trying to help you here as a friend. Nothing else but just a friend. I've been there. And that's what got me out. If you're here today, go, 
I don't believe in God, Zach. Well, then I would like to think that this is a prime opportunity for you to at least talk to somebody. You talk to yourself. You talk to yourself in your head. You talk to your drive. You sing while you're driving in the car. No one else hears you but you. So why not take a moment, take a chance, and talk to God? Because you know what? If you think he exists or not, he exists. He's there and he hears you. Just because you're like unsubscribed doesn't mean he unsubscribes also. yourself to just walk out. Force the feet to move. And the easiest way to do that is remember Philippians 4.6. Sometimes, you know, you read these old letters and you say, Paul, you just don't know what it's like. You are not a teenager in 2011 trying to graduate high school and a job and be an athlete find a girlfriend. Paul, you just don't know what it's about. And I'm, I'm assuming Paul would, if he could communicate from me 2,000 years ago, he'd say, well, Zach, I guess you don't know what it's like to be stranded on a desert island, do you? Oh, you don't? Yeah, I guess so. If I can say, be anxious about, don't be anxious about anything, and, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I guess if I can write that and do that on a desert island, I'm sure that you're school work lady problems will kind of figure themselves out, won't they? It's time to leave the cave. There's nothing else in there. It's a cave. It's empty. It's full of stalactites and stalagmites and gross bats. It's all that's in there. And God is whispering today, what are you doing here? I got some plans. But you got to leave the cave. I find it interesting. In a whisper, God goes, Elijah, what are you doing here? But what does Elijah do? This time, he covers his face and he goes to the entrance of the cave. So here's the thing. God said, hey, I want you to go stand before me in front of the mountain. He does all these cool things, the earth, wind, and fire. And where does Elijah go back? He just goes right back to the cave. But this time when God whispers, now when I whisper to you, if we're, if we're standing really close, I'm going to have to move if I'm whispering right here. But Elijah hears the whisper. He goes, it's time to move time to go from the back of the cave, leave the bats where they're at, and go to the front of the cave, go to the entrance of the cave where I left every one of my problems. Because God said, what are you doing here? I would almost imagine or believe that when Elijah said it the second time, it was with a little bit, negative, little bit less negativity and a lot more hopefulness. God, I'm on the run. Israel has abandoned you. They tore down all your altars. They have started worshiping Baal. They want to kill me. I am the last one left. 
God realized that it was time, Elijah was ready to leave the cave. It's time. I think it's time. Nothing in the cave, is there? Except for memories and problems. It's time to leave the cave. Heavenly Father, as we go back into worship tonight, I would just I would just pray for those of us who who are dealing with this depression and anxiety and it just repeats itself over and over in our head and it gets worse and worse. And when you ask us, what are you doing here? We are so more quick to answer with a snip back or not even answer at all because we just can't hear you. Father, would you show us tonight where the entrance is at? Would you show us tonight that there is freedom? Would you show us tonight how to be anxious over nothing? Would you show us tonight how to pray and be thankful? Father God, tonight, would you just move in this place.